A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. Sign up for the Confessions of a Marketer newsletter at confessionsofamarketer.com slash newsletter. On episode 44 of Confessions of a Marketer, we're talking great design. We have Greg Quinton, Chief Creative Officer of WPP's Design Powerhouse Super Union, in to talk about all things design. We'll get to that chat in just a moment. Coming up, is marketing broken? We'll have Tim Burke of Affinio joining us to ponder that question next time. Boy, just saying that makes me excited for the discussion so much to mine there. And coming soon, we'll talk growth hacking, in-house creative management, the intersection of technology and marketing. We'll dig a bit more into product marketing and lots more. Also in March, we're planning to chat with Beth Monahan of Inkhouse about fear and the future of PR. A packed schedule over the next few months, so stay tuned. And if that wasn't enough in the podcast realm, as I've told you, I've got a new podcast with influencer and investor Garnett Harriman, the Innovation Podcast. We've done interviews at CES, we've talked experiential marketing, and in the current episode, we talk with Gerilyn Bragg. Gerilyn is founder and chief executive officer of Anytown USA, an e-commerce marketplace that launched in June of last year. She has a storied career, serves on the board of Haynes, Welch's, 1-800-Flowers. She was president of Clark's and has too many other qualifications to list here. But this is must-listen stuff. So head over to theinnovationpodcast.co to have a listen. I think you'll like it. On to Greg Quinton. When I met Greg a decade or so ago, he was executive creative director at The Partners, a great design house based in London. My firm hired him and his team for a new visual identity, and it was a great experience working with him. Greg exudes creativity. Greg's now the chief creative officer at Super Union, which grew out of The Partners, Brand Union, Lambie Nairn, Addison, and VBAT last year. We talk about what it takes to get great design, and also about the book he co-wrote, A Smile in the Mind, the kind of design source book that I recommend you pick up. It was such a fun chat, so let's get to it. Greg Quinton, welcome to Confessions of a Marketer. It's great to have you here. Thank you. So you're known for creative excellence. Just look at the list of awards that you've gotten over the years. How do you maintain that level of work and ensure you deliver for your clients? 
I hope we do maintain it. Um, it always feels to me like we're, we're not, and we're never. <laughs> I'm always concerned that uh, the standards are slipping. But well, I guess it probably stems from the foundation of business over 30 years ago. There was a clear ambition for the business, and it was—it's an arrogant statement, but the ambition was to be the world's most creative agency, and that's an internal ambition. It's a horrible statement. It's very arrogant, and nobody likes it. But it's clear, and it's—you know—what it does is it gives people something to aim for. A little bit like aiming for the moon. You know, you've got to have an ambition that you're aiming for. And I guess internally that was always clear. From a measurement point of view, I guess we have the awards, which love and or hate them. You get an idea of whether you're doing something that is brave or different. And that gives everybody an indication in the industry and for clients as well that there's something happening there, that we're doing something interesting and, and brave. But I, you know, to be honest, awards are a dangerous thing. And, um, it's dangerous to slip into just chasing them. But I think what we do do is we try and create work that we are always proud of, that's always different. And I, and I suppose the key to that is making sure that we work with clients that share that ambition as well. The good thing is, you know, particularly now with you know, the web, et cetera, is that people can see what, what you have done previously. And if they like it, you can usually work out if a client has that same level of ambition. And then you, it's all about the relationship. And that's all about the trust that you create with them. The interesting thing for us as a business where we've merged with other businesses is we have to create a new culture. And that's really intriguing because you know not every business has the same ambition that we previously had. So we are creating our own ambition. It's not dissimilar. <laughs> As, as the CCO, or Chief Creative Officer, it's a pretty similar ambition because I'm not going to drop my standards. <laughs> but, um, you know, when I took over as um, CCO of the previous 17 years ago, that horrible quote I mentioned, I was actually on the receiving end of a really bad crit going through some work with my previous boss when we found a partner. And we had done some work that wasn't really up to scratch. And he's a normally normally a very modest, quiet chap. And he kind of exploded. And that's why it was so unusual and why it's stuck in my mind so much. It's pretty traumatic. And, he, you know, there were a few naughty words. And then he said, you know, but are we the most creative agency in the world? And, you know, when I got made CCO, I had this quote the full quote, including the expletives, a painting <laughs> gold lettering on the wall in the studio as, as a kind of reminder. And the good thing was, because it was a quote, I could put the expletives in and put the quote and the date. Then people couldn't get offended by it because yeah. I could say, well, it was a quote. It was a quote. <laughs> and that way, what it was is a clear ambition to everybody in, in the building then. And you know, now... As we move into the new phase, you know, we are creating our own new ambition. You know, it's not going to be too, too similar. You know, and I guess the other way of measuring the success is just keeping a constant review on the work. Um, so we do that um, pretty much on a on a almost regimental basis, once a month, 
we go through the work on you know, on the local level on the office, with the officers, and then once quarter have a stand back and look at what's going on, and really that's key. Really, you can see if the quality of the work is being maintained, and you know if we're happy with it or or not. And I guess you know along with that, a lot of sharing the work that's going on with everybody in the building, um, sharing what's going on in the industry and just really talking as much as possible. But I think ultimately the key thing is that we're working with clients that we have a good relationship with. It's all down to trust. If they like working with us and we feel like where this is a mutual partnership, then that's when the best work happens. It is really about understanding the clients as well as can be, and that's really when the work becomes unique. One thing I've heard from people in business for decades is that what drives them is a fear of failure. Do you kind of have that? Is that part of what you just kind of revealed to me, that you don't want to let your clients down and you want to live up to those standards that you set? Absolutely, (laughs) yes. I mean, the the thing that keeps us all awake at night is the work just not being up to standard. We have a line that's you know it's all about the work. It's all about the work. It's all about the work because the work is the manifestation of the conversations that we're having with our clients. And if the work isn't good enough, then yeah, it reflects on us. But it also damage can potentially damage our clients as well, and you know can damage their reputation, can damage your business in many ways. So you know yeah, we have to we feel that responsibility. For sure, it's a shared responsibility. We have to maintain the quality. Um, otherwise, we're letting everybody down. So we have to maintain that standard. Speaking of work, I th- the thing that impressed me back in the day when uh, I hired you at a company, when you were leading the partners, the predecessor to SuperUnion, is that your design didn't have a look. You know, when we we reviewed lots of agencies back then, and most agencies have a look right? You can see it from company to company. But with your work, everything looked different. You didn't have a house look. Is that an effort that you're conscious of or does it just happen? Oh, it's both. I mean, I find it absolutely amazing that any client would go to an agency and say, can I have a bit of that look, please? Yeah. Because why, why would they? You know, it's absolutely extraordinary. You know, what you're effectively saying is, my company is the same as that other company. Yeah. And then they never are. You know, the reason everything looks different is because everyone, every client's problem is different and every client's situation is different. Their marketplace is different. And, you know, the personality of the business is different. So what we do is we, we try and get as close to the clients as possible. We don't want to really refer to them as clients, even though we have to. You know, we want them to be kind of the friends that we work with. And, you know, we have a, you know, a very close understanding of what's going on, what drives them, and I think, you know, what their ambitions are as well. I mean, we try and understand, you know, not only the business ambition, but also their personal ambitions. Because if we understand what's driving them and how, how ambitious they are, then we can reflect that and we can um, work to that. Um, if it becomes, you know, if you have a client that says, well, I don't really have any ambition, I don't really want to change, the alarm bells go off. You know, we know that they're not really looking 
to do anything, anything significant to help their business. And really where we were best is when we were working with CEOs, uh, CMOs directly and understanding what their needs are totally, not just immediate, but, you know, medium, short, medium and long term. You know, what do they, where do they want to be in five years' time? What does success look like? And for them personally, what does that what changes for them as well? Personally, I think it's I'm proud of the fact that nothing uh, looks the same when we don't have a house style. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, I think it would be um, it would be disastrous. I do know agencies that have a house style, and I was yeah. I just think it's a real real shame for their clients because the work is not reflecting that client sufficiently. In my mind, I think it really should. Every client situation has its own story. And I think, our, to a large degree, our job is to tell the story for the audience that's out there. And each audience is different as well. So we have to get all those nuances correct. I think that's vital. Otherwise, we're just doing a disservice to everybody. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. All right, so that brings me to my next question. When you do start discussions with a potential or existing client, you go out and land that big fish about a redesign or a visual identity, what are the first questions you ask? Oh, well, it's really back to the, to the basics, you know. What's the problem we're trying to solve, first off? What's the business ambition? And usually what we do is we try and plot where they think they are currently now against their competition and where they want to be as well, who they benchmark themselves against currently and where they want to benchmark themselves with in the future. Because that gives us an understanding of the level of ambition and you know where they want to be. Quite often we end up creating a matrix where we plot everybody against and axes that everybody agrees on where they want to go from and go to. And that sets a lot of the precedent about where, what we're trying to achieve together. Yeah, yeah. You wrote a really fun book with a couple of other people about design called A Smile in the Mind. And, and I picked it up last year and I was paging through it. And it's just a really fun read so I, I was interesting as how, in, in how you pick the designs you featured there and whether there are between those designs any common denominators. Mm. Well, uh, thank you. It's, it's, um, it's a book called um, Smile of the Minds that was originally written 20 plus years ago by one of the other founder partners, David Stewart, t- together with a, an external writer called um, Beryl McCone. And what they tried to do is capture all of the different types of um, wit in design. And that, it was a very successful book and was around for a long time. And then me uh, taking over as CCO had this responsibility hanging over me of, okay, we need to do an update at some point or right. other. And I have to say, it was one of those, one of those things that uh, I put off. <laughs> <laughs> as, long as, 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 long, as long as I possibly could. And it got to the point where we were coming close to the 20th anniversary of the book, and I thought, well, you know what, actually this is probably a good time to, to kind of bite the bullet and get on with it. 
So I, I hooked up. I did the same principle of um, David and Barrel, hooked up with a, a writer who I respect deeply um, called uh, Nick Asprey. And it turns out he was a avid fan of the original book as well. So to him, it was it was like a dream job. So with the help of a very able assistant and uh, designer called Jonathan Brody, uh, the three of us basically set about doing an update to the book. What it meant was that we had to go through the existing content and work out which projects were, you know, showing their age a little bit. Some areas that didn't exist. Technology, for example, was very, very early days. I think it was the the most high-tech piece in there was a floppy disk. <laughs> you, know, the web, you know, the web didn't exist. You know, we had loads of content that right. we had to bring into this book. So there was a first round of editing and, and you know, one or two pieces just weren't right either. So, and I, and I think also we had a little bit too many projects by uh, the partners as, a, as an agency. It was looking a little bit like an agency book. So, you know, we addressed that balance we brought in 600 new pieces of work. We did lots of new interviews with leading practitioners of WIT. And WIT is the, the common theme through it. So, you know, what we tried to find was examples of work that when a viewer sees it for the first time, there's, there's the, the wonderful experience of looking at something. And then when it's work that is there's something different about it. You have to use your brain as well. When your brain is activated and you have to decode it, then suddenly there's, there's an additional element in play. And when, when you decode it and you realize that there's something, that's, you know, it's usually a twist, it's usually a game, it's an, either an optical game, a, a visual gag, there's something witty in it. It usually makes you smile, hence the, the title Smile in the Mind. And that really is the common thread. The key thing about it is that then if your brain has had to work a little bit hard, harder on decoding it, then it stays in your head. And if you really love it, then it goes to your heart as well. And I think it's, it's engaging all three of the senses and, and it just stays in, in your mind that much longer. A lot of the examples, I, I could tell you what they look like. I can tell you the idea behind it without having looked at it for some time now um, because it's, it stays with me. And that's what we hope um, everybody else experiences as well. You know, it's, most of the examples are, you know, work that we just loved. And as a team, we kind of bounced the work between each other. We had Pinterest boards that were, you know, private boards that we shared together and just kind of, you know, I think this this is a really great example of this bit and maybe it goes in that category or that category. So between the three of us, we, we did a lot of additional editing. I think we had something like 3,000 examples that we were playing with to whittle down to the, the 600 that we put into the book. There were some that we would have loved to have included that we lost for various either, um, you know, people who didn't want it used or we discovered that some pieces actually weren't really in the real world. And uh, uh, Lego, for example, said you cannot use that work because it doesn't exist and we never commissioned it. But but there are some beautiful examples that we just couldn't use them. To be honest, it was a lot of fun. It was probably uh, 
two and a half years of uh, additional work on top of the day job, but it was good fun, and I think we all we all had a we all had a real laugh doing it. I'm not sure I'm, I'm keen on doing an update soon. <laughs> you can wait twenty but, years. Uh, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe I'll I'll leave that to the next uh, year. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to go there. Well, it's a wonderful book that I recommend anyone in in our business pick up and and page through. It is a lot of fun. So do you have any advice for people on the client side looking for great design? I know when we worked together, my colleague Tony Temple and I spent a lot of time writing a brief that really showed where the company wanted to go, where we wanted to go you know, from a design standpoint. And that seemed to help you get off to a good start. So does it come down, is that a good start or is there something else that a company should do when they're, when they're looking for great design? Well, I, I think the worst brief in the world is one where, which I have actually had before now, is uh, a client who just says, just do something creative. <laughs> and, and, and you kind of look at them and say, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. I had someone once say to me, we were working on a website, and uh, the guy leading the company said, this page should be highly designed. <laughs> so, okay, <Brilliant>. thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, I mean, what are you supposed to do with that? Right, you know, right. Thing. It, it, it's, you, you can't do anything with it. And I think the thing that was great about that experience is that it's twofold. To be honest, to a large degree, it's, you guys talking a lot to work out what you actually need and what you want and what the ambition is. So to a large degree, it's you're working out your problem. And then that, you know, the creative brief is purely an articulation, a single page articulation of this is it. This is really what we need, nuts and bolts. We've got rid of all the rest of the stuff. This is the stuff that we, the pithy points that we've got to and we need your help on. So during that process, you're understanding really what your needs are. We are watching and listening and understanding those needs as well. And then we all have the same understanding of what the ambition is. And, you know, we're all a little bit closer and a little bit clearer by the end of that process. And that really helps. You know, I, I always find it staggering when people think that a pitch will provide the answer. It never will. Yeah. All a pitch can do is give you, the client, an understanding of how we, the agency, think. And that's it. That's all we can ever do. We cannot, it would be arrogant to say that we can solve it at that point because we don't really understand the problem. You're you know, the deep down problem. So, you know, I would say, you know, if I was making a recommendation to a client, I'd say, you know, just get close to the, the team that are work, you're working with. Give them as much time as you possibly can. Do as many workshops as you possibly can. Involve the people who are the, are the right people to involve, but no wider. The, the more people you have, the more it's going to look like a camel. So, you know, just try and keep it as tight, but the key people who are the key stakeholders, to use a common phrase, but, um, you know, it is about that relationship. Uh, first and foremost, the brief is, is the articulation. I think to get the best solution is to get the tightest brief you possibly can, not the most open. It's a 
the be creative is not not the brief you want to receive you want a really really tight brief and to be honest you have to work on the brief together um and you have to agree that this is what we want as an output and then be as frank and honest as you possibly can be you know i, I think um to treat the agency as an extension of yourself you know a very long arm uh, you know don't think of them as somebody external, get them as close as you possibly can um, and give them, you know, as much access as you can as well. You know, we're doing a lot of projects that are quite, com- you know, pretty confidential. And, you know, we're recently doing doing a project at the moment for electric car. There are several projects going on in that area. But, you know, electric car brand. And the team have gone through the entire project with never having never seen what what the car looks like, what the vehicle looks like, and I just find that extraordinary. I just you know in my mind, it's like, please don't do that. It's the client has got to trust you, and you know how how else can you articulate a brand without really really understanding it? It's really about communication and trust, right? Absolutely. It is, it is. I mean, when you get to a level of trust where, you know, clients stay with you forever, um, or was it, I'm, I, I mean, my longest client, I've kind of outlasted him, sadly, he died a few years ago, but, you know, we worked together until the end, um, and that was, you know, nearly 25 years working together, and is that a client relationship? vaguely but it's it's the trust first it's a collegial relationship it's more than just a client company relationship absolutely i, I always find um, the second money gets involved it muddies muddies <laughs> the waters it should, it should be more like a, a family relationship and just yeah. money never get involved but uh, sadly it does <laughs> yeah yeah well we've all, all got to make a living right but you know. <laughs> yeah apparently yeah <laughs> Well, Greg, this has been wonderful. Thanks for being my guest. You know, chatting with you reminds me of how much fun we had working together. Really appreciate you being here. No, no, thank you. Pleasure. Thanks to Greg for being here. Next time, Tim Burke of Affinio joins me to discuss his thought that marketing is broken. Lots more in store, so stay tuned. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly. T. Jordan of A-Class Productions wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Reed Edwards Global Inc., and this episode is copyright 2019. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time. You've never tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke-free building, you're not exactly home free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, lung health is key. Go to tobaccofreeca.com to learn how to stay safe.